Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 83. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Election Day is finally upon us. And so is the virus. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. If things do not change, Shep, if they continue on the course we're on, there's going to be a whole lot of pain in this country with regard to additional cases and hospitalizations and deaths. We are on a very difficult trajectory. We are going in the wrong direction. We're averaging 70,000 cases per week. We've gone up as high as 83,000 last Friday. And if you look at the map that you just showed on the screen, there are a large number of of states that are going in the wrong direction. If that continues, we're going to be in much worse shape a month from now than we are today. It's all happening. And it's scary. Just as Dr. Fauci has warned, and as we've covered on this show for months, it's all happening. And it is scary. The storms are here. All at once. The storms are crashing into America. The most important and turbulent election in our lifetime, attacks on our elections by our enemies, cyber attacks on our hospitals by Russian hackers, domestic extremist groups intimidating voters and threatening violence, President Mayhem promising to reject the results of the election, and another damn hurricane hit New Orleans. It is scary. And the storms are here. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. But these are all small tropical storms compared to the super mega hurricane that's hitting America the hardest right now. The virus. We're in the midst of so many battles, but the virus is the war. And it's the war of our time. And it's ebbed and flowed, but it's been patient, it's been focused, and it's taking advantage of every mistake and misstep we've made for the last year. And before, during, and after the election, it's taking lives all across the country. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse, much worse. An influential model of the coronavirus pandemic is now predicting almost 400,000 total coronavirus deaths in the U.S. by February 1st. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington School of Medicine says it's most likely that by the middle of January, 2,250 Americans will be dying every single day from coronavirus. That's three times more than the current rate. So as Election Day finally hits America, So does the pandemic. Voter turnout is soaring. And so are COVID cases. And nobody's a bigger winner this election day 2020 than the virus. This is the scariest Halloween of our lives. We've got no tricks in this episode. It's all treats, 
Only Snickers and Milky Ways and Crunch Bars. No candy corn or pennies. We've got useful, thoughtful, candid analysis, and solid recommendations from one of the brightest public health minds in America. As things get scarier and scarier, we need heroes to give us hope. And we've got one. Dr. Vin Gupta is a helper and a patriot. He's the guy you wish was your personal doctor right now. He's a public health physician, an Air Force officer, a professor, an NBC News analyst, and a true voice of reason. Since the pandemic hit, Dr. Vin Gupta has emerged as a true superstar that Americans of all backgrounds respect and trust. He's young, he's brilliant, and he's working every day on the front lines of the pandemic on a range of critical fronts, from seeing patients to advising the military to appearing on national TV to guiding tech giant Amazon. Dr. Gupta has spent 15 years working worldwide to improve public health for organizations like the Center for Disease Control, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the Harvard Global Health Institute, the World Health Organization, and the Pentagon Center for Global Health Engagement. And he's not putting any bullshit in your bag this Halloween. It's all facts and insight. Whether previously, let's say, in response to 9-11, it was an elected official who's never worn the uniform deploying someone else's son or daughter. Here, it's the same paradigm. It's somebody who doesn't know a darn thing about healthcare or never cared for a patient, much less a COVID patient, making life and death decisions when it comes to our public health system and how to allocate resources. That's what makes me angry, that we have such an epidemic of adverse selection in our politics, that we have fundamentally, we, we, we have the wrong leaders, not just for this moment, but for all moments of crisis. But that's what makes me angry, that we have to sit here and have these ridiculous conversations on with a seeming basic common sense within because the people that have power have hung on to power because our politics is all messed up. Mm. You know, we're, I don't I don't think we're a true representative democracy, unfortunately. Dr. Gupta is a Harvard trained lung specialist, a trusted advisor and a contributor to national and international media outlets and to The New York Times and CNN New Day. He's also a major in the United States Air Force Reserve Medical Corps, where he serves as a deployable critical care aerospace physician with the 446th Aeromedical Staging Squadron based at Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State. In this role, Dr. Gupta has assisted with bolstering the emergency health crisis response capabilities of partner nations in Africa as a part of the U.S. State Department's African Peacekeeping Rapid Response Partnership. He's also the principal scientist at Amazon, where he focuses on clinical and strategic leadership to the company's internal and external COVID-19 response work. That includes overseeing the funding of clinical trials, expanding its worth in public health through community-based initiatives, and ensuring the implementation of evidence-based workplace health and safety protocols. As the pandemic war unfolds, Dr. Vin Gupta's in the middle of all of it, and he joins us for a must-hear conversation that'll leave you better informed and ready for whatever comes after the election, no matter who wins. The storms are all here now, and the no shit is that it's time to hunker down, and it's time to step up, and it's time for everyone to be a hero this Halloween. 
and this Thanksgiving and until further notice. We need heroes now more than ever. And we're going to keep bringing them to you. The storm of 2020 is not ending soon. And Angry Americans is going to continue to guide you through the choppy waters with important, iconic, and inspiring guests who are shaping what America's been, what it is now, and what it will be in the future, no matter how tough that future will be in the next few months. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially now. But even in this terrifying season, don't be afraid. The helpers are out there. They're working in our hospitals, they're teaching our children, they're patrolling our skies, and they're standing on lines for hours in the rain to vote. We can face whatever scary shit is to come. And we can face it boldly, courageously, and as always, with the four eyes of integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Welcome to a no-shit conversation about what you need to know as the pandemic surges again. Welcome to a conversation that's bigger even than the election. Welcome to a conversation about intelligence, science, and leadership. And welcome to a conversation about how you can be a hero. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 83. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, it's go time. The election is here. COVID is hitting people nationwide, and we're going to continue to bring important, inspiring, uh, iconic, informative guests that can help you sort through it. And on very short notice, I am very, very happy and humbled to have joining us today the great and powerful Dr. Vin Gupta. Welcome to Angry Americans, sir. Great to have you here. No, what a pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. Really, really uh, uh, such a treat. Well, and I got to kick it off by saying, you know, you're on TV a lot. I think you're a voice of reason. I think you've been heroic and, and, and so helpful just to the American people. I think it's a tremendous public service what you've been doing. You're inspiring. I think you're bringing people great information, but also comfort. And your personal story is incredibly inspiring. Folks are getting used to seeing you on TV. But for those who are watching and not listening, they don't usually get to see that background. So can you tell me, this is kind of the cool background. I like this. Uh, what, what, do you got, what do you got behind you? Uh, yeah, you know, this is my, um, my work office. So it's a combination of, uh, gosh, uh, some of my favorite books. Uh, uh, I, you know, I got this uh, a great uh, picture of a few Indian go- or a sculpture of Indian goddesses uh, back in Bali. Where my 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 wife and I actually met, kind of uh, strangely enough, when I was uh, out in Asia way back when doing epidemiology work, and she was doing acupuncture work, and so we were traveling through Indonesia and spent some time in Bali. So that's in Bali. Some favorite reading materials here: The Great Influenza, very pertinent, uh, highly recommended from John Barry. And then uh, you know, just a oh, a picture of family, and then just to make sure you think I'm, you know, you know that I'm legit. Uh, some. Uh, 
medical credentials up there. So a little combination Excellent. of, uh, it. it's of, very yeah. cool. I, over your left shoulder, I was trying to figure out what that was. I thought it was a framed horseshoe crab. I was, <laughs> I was like, this is a mysterious, this is mysterious and amazing. So, um, that, that, that's really cool. Let me ask you this, sir. You know, Louis, uh, Willie Geist put us in touch. He's been a regular guest on the show. We have a lot of friends in common, General Mark Hurtling and others. Um, a lot of folks don't know that you, uh, are still serving in the Air Force Reserve. I want to I want to get into that, but let me ask you a question that I've been asking everybody since the pandemic started. Because people here see you on TV, but they don't always get a true sense. Where are you, and how are you? How are you and the people around you? You know, dealing with all of this and and everything happening right now. Paul, thank you for for uh, just the opportunity. Um, I, I'm physically right now in Seattle, Washington, not far from the University of Washington, uh, where I. Um, I, I continue to have a research scientist role at the Institute for Health Metrics. They've been developing those models that none of us really want to believe, but unfortunately are all too true. Um, and, we, you know, my, my wife's a pediatrician, and we, we've been experiencing the pandemic through so many different lenses, just like all Americans are right now. We're, we're scared. Uh, we we want to see our loved ones. We want to see our friends. We love eating out. We want to do these the things that, that we want. We love to travel. All the things that I know all of us are craving to do. We're exhausted by the same by 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 everything that we're all exhausted by. We too share that exhaustion, which makes it hard because when you go out and, and when I'm talking to Willie or when I'm talking on uh, and have the privilege of having a mini platform talking to Americans. I don't necessarily love what's coming out of my mouth. I don't like that I have to be uh, that messenger, uh, but I recognize that we're in a unique time in history and that uh, some of us, have, circumstance has conspired to give us this this privileged platform to speak truth to the American people. And I try to be responsible with it. Mm. Yeah, I think you, you, you've, you've done such a great job of being candid. I mean, you're no bullshit. You're, when you come on TV, people know they can get you know, the, the real deal from you. And as a military veteran, I, I especially appreciate that because there are so many similarities in my view to the pandemic and a combat environment, the uncertainty, the importance of good information, you know, the critical role of teamwork. There's, there's a lot of it. You're also in a position where you're personally experiencing the pandemic, you know, you're covering and working in the pandemic and you're also trying to positively influence it. So that's a really unique leadership role to be in that I don't think everyone can understand um, we deal with it in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I want to get to know a little bit more about you, the stuff we don't get to see on NBC. The question we ask of all of our guests, if you ever take a break, which I don't know if you've taken a break in the last eight months, and you have a cocktail or a drink with your wife or whoever, what is your cocktail or adult beverage of choice? You know, I, I, I am a one-trick pony here. I, I'm a big fan of the type of red wine where at the bottom of the uh, that bottle there's soil, there's sediment. So like that vi that violet colored deep pink or deep red uh, Cabernet or you name it, uh, where there's soil at the bottom. I love that, and uh, I just you know not that I don't love. My wife's a big margarita fan. Um, we love our uh, mixed drinks. Our uh, love a, a gin martini every once in a while. Of course, you know. Pacific Northwest, incredible beers. But if, yeah. if you had to pin me, a great bottle of red, a deep red, like heavy and just like dries it, your mouth out. That's, that, that's what, that's how I relaxed at the end of the day. 
Love it. I think America owes you a lot of cases of wine after what you've been doing for the last <laughs> couple of, of months. I won't say no. I won't say no. <laughs> um, you know, you've got a really incredible resume and incredible career. Um, you've done a lot of things. I mean, you're, you know, working at Amazon, you're in the Air Force uh, Reserves, you're on NBC, you're probably, I assume, seeing patients. Um, you know, you're, you're in a lot of different worlds. But take us in the way, way back machine. Dr. Gupta, when you were growing up, what was your first car? <laughs> uh, my first car was um, the car I had dreamed to own, which is a Honda Prelude 2001 black uh, two-door. And I, I know Preludes, I don't know if they're, they're even uh, something you can buy anymore, but uh, they're sort of like the, the sports, the sporty uh, yet affordable version of uh, a Honda Accord. Man, I missed that car. I like it. I like it. it. It feels like it would fit that backdrop. And you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sleek and practical, you know, and, and not, not dissimilar from you. Right. Um, but uh, l- let me, let me ask you to, to kick it off in a, in a different way. You know, this is a very trying time for people. I, I feel like this week edges are starting to get frayed, right? I've, we've yeah. been talking a lot in this show about the storms that are coming. And the election is one of them. The pandemic storms kind of hit like hurricanes. And, and maybe that's one way of looking at them. And you talk a lot about the current state of affairs. Um, can you break down for us in, in your no shit way, not just where we are, but what's to come, right? You're, you're a major in the Air Force Reserves. If I came in and said, hey, I'm the four star. Brief me on how you think this battlefield's going to unfold over the next couple of months and understanding the situations on the ground are going to change. Can we start off with an assessment from you on what you think is to come? You bet, uh, Paul. And, and, and just for your, for your listeners and your viewers out there to, to, give, to, to give them a sense of where I'm coming from, let me, let, me, let me just quickly step back and say, you know, my lenses to the pandemic have been the following. I, I, I attend in our, in our ICUs here in Seattle and or I'm clinical with the Air Force Reserve as an ICU doc, as our critical care transport team, which is an incredible capability. I'll talk about that in a second, uh, for about a week a month, usually nights and weekends. At Amazon, uh, I was brought on to uh, be their sort of chief or senior medical officer guiding their COVID response to keep their fulfillment centers safe and healthy so they could deliver diapers to mom or and, and get needed services to grandma. So it's a, a role I take really seriously because I think Without an Amazon, what do you get? I mean, that people are really relying on these types of companies. So that's given me interesting perspectives as well. And then, of course, what we're doing over at IHME and at the University of Washington in terms of modeling from a research scientist standpoint, uh, that's what informs what I say on the air. So what I say on the air, um, I, I'm, I've, again, privileged opportunity to do it, but it's informed from real lived experience through a variety of lenses. What I will say then, from what I've seen in the private sector, the public sector, and on the wards is the following. We do not have the right type of resources available to the majority of Americans to keep us all safe. So what do I mean by that? We have 80,000 new cases today, Paul, 80,000. Hospitalizations are peaking now in ways they haven't peaked in the entire pandemic in 39 states. We're seeing field hospitals, U.S. Corps of Army Engineers, other military assets, uh, National Guard, for example, are building field hospitals in places like Utah and Wisconsin. That's not normal. I just got disaster credentials for 
uh, to, to go serve as an ICU doc on a, on a seven to 10 day mission in South Dakota for the Indian Health Service. This is not normal. This is not to be expected. This is, this is not rounding the curve. So let's be clear here. This is high. And we're, we're still, I mean, in Seattle, it's still about 60 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. It's not that cold. It's not that cold right now, majority of the country. And we're already in a really bad spot. So this is going to get, regardless of who's leading the country, this is going to get bad going into December, January, and February. It's going to get bad. We're at IHME forecasting about 2,500 deaths uh, a day at the worst of it starting Jan 1. And I think that's unavoidable. I think we need to understand how do we mitigate the loss of life at this point? That's where we're at. We're in a pending, we're in the midst of a disaster that's evolving. And we need to, we really need to re-index our response here because right now it is just, it is 50 different approaches in 50 different states. And we just cannot have that. And I'm happy to go into what, what I mean by that, what we need, but we are in a very precarious spot right now. There's no doubt about it. Can I, uh, can I ask you to, to, to build on that? I feel like we're in a spot where we had kind of a first bombing wave, okay? And we got hit and everybody kind of poked their head up and said, okay, I didn't get hit. I'm coming out now, right? And then we had these smaller bombing waves. And now, you know, to, to stretch the military comparison, the full-scale ground assault is coming. And it's coming in all areas from all sides. Um, we obviously didn't have the resources. We also, in my view, didn't have the leadership and didn't have the strategy. You bring up an important point about it doesn't matter who wins, you know, this month. Um, you know, we're still going to have this, this, this reality that must be faced. The invasion is still going to keep coming. And the response it can largely be driven in one way or another by who the, the leader is. But what does that mean for, for, every, for average people, right? You're also a dad, you know, you're a family man. Um, you know, I, I'm telling my family, schools, if they're not closed, they're going to be closed soon. Uh, we may have a lockdown of some kind, if it's not at the state level, at the national level. Resources you're already identifying are being, are being uh, are more scarce. Um, what does it look like for the individual and really as a doctor or to your family members? What do you recommend that people do to prepare for that reality? I went today and got my kids flu shots. Yesterday, I got my dental work knocked out. Like, I'm trying to think about what are the priorities for me and my family. Can you bring it down to a personal level? Assuming that the people listening wear masks, social distance, wash their hands, they do all the right things. How can they prepare for that very difficult reality to come? Paul, there are no easy answers here. Uh, this, is, this is the top level. This is what I would say, number one. Because I think people don't know what to ask for. But that's what I've realized. People don't know what, what are they entitled to as an American? What should they reasonably expect from their government? And it's not, it's reasonable to expect that everybody should be able to test themselves for COVID-19, not just, not just once a month or once a week, but when they want to be tested. Because what we realized here, you saw this after the president turned out positive. How many times did he get retested? How many times did his close contacts get retested? It wasn't a spot check. Everybody was suggesting it needed to be multiple times in the week ahead because it takes time for COVID-19 to incubate in the body. And what are we saying? We're basically saying, well, if we get a test for, uh, for, for the longest time now, it's been, well, we need to get every American a test. What about follow-up testing, especially after a close contact? Or if you want to go home for Thanksgiving, what about testing on the front and the back end not just one time, but a few times. That's what people need. 
So it's on, as you go, as your listeners and viewers go to the ballot box, you should have a government in place that prioritizes home testing. We are at that place now where pandemics are a reality. We've had, Paul, we've had four epidemics of pandemic potential just since 2014, and this has been the big one. This is not going away. This threat's always going to be there. So we need a forward-thinking government that says, how do I get testing in the hands of Americans? It's not that hard. So Americans should expect that, number one. Number two, I am tired of people coming to me desperate for knowledge on what type of mask they should wear, and then my response being, well, a three-ply surgical or a cloth mask. No, that's not right. People deserve, especially on the West Coast here where there's smoke, uh, there's wildfire smoke for up to three months out of every year, people deserve the highest quality masks if they want one. And we can't say, well, we don't have enough, we're still supply constrained, just like we're supply constrained with our home testing apparatus. No, people should expect these things from their government. Threats have evolved and our response needs to adapt itself accordingly. So as you go to the ballot boxes, you think about what you deserve as an American. You deserve access to frequent testing at home. There's no reason why we can't do it. Massive public health education campaigns and strategic investments can get us there and get us there safely. And number two, everybody deserves an N95 if they want one. And what I hear sometimes critics, my, my, my colleagues, even professional colleagues say, well, then that's, that's not realistic. Well, why isn't it realistic? We went to the moon. We can't fit people with an N95 mask. Really? Are we saying that? So that's, that's a high level. You, we don't have the resources to keep everybody safe. It's either if you're rich or if you happen to be an ICU doc, oh, well, I can get these resources if I want to, to keep myself and my family safe. But that's not fair. We should not, it should not be the haves and the have-nots. That is wrong. So that's, that's number one. Paul, what I would say here is, I, I, I've been thinking about holiday travel. People ask me, well, hey, doc, is it okay to get on a flight? You know, here's, here's the truth. A, an, a flight is actually, I'd rather be in an airplane than in an indoor classroom. Mass distance, maybe eye shields. But I mean, the truth here is you have air exchanges every eight, eight to 10 minutes. So flights are maybe not on, totally unsafe, but would it be better if people decided to stay home and try, especially with the worst of it ahead of us? I would recommend probably being very strategic on any type of holiday travel. We could talk about that more if you'd like. When it comes to in-person schooling, I hate that schools are open without testing. Mm. It, is, it, is, it makes no sense that we have schools open across the country and those schools can only test if they're rich enough to test because they live, they're looking in an affluent area. That's wrong. So if I was a parent of a child and they was, there was not frequent testing or the ability to test at least weekly in place, and I was vulnerable as a parent, or if you have older and uh, loved ones at home, I would definitely think twice about sending your kid back to school with the worst of it ahead of us. And, and, and common things being common, you know, vaccinations, hand sanitizer. I mean, all the things that we we're already doing, that's the best we can do right now with the resources we have. I, I appreciate that because I think, you know, you've been great about laying out the policy and also bringing it down to the personal level. I think on the policy side, you know, there, there may be differing views on this. I don't count on a federal response anytime soon, right? No matter who wins, looks like Q4 is going to be nuts. You know, then best case scenario, in my view, Joe Biden gets elected. And in January, he starts to move forward what we probably should have done a year and a half ago on everything from testing to, uh, you know, financial responses. But I, what I'm looking at now is a landscape where we really don't get the help we need until best case scenario, Q1 of next year, 
late Q1 of next year. And in the meantime, folks are going to be looking at their television to you and others saying, should we really have Thanksgiving or not? Right? Should I send my kids to school or not? So those specific answers, I think, are really, really helpful and, and, and refreshing. Can I ask you to even take it down a step further? People who are thinking about dental care, seeing their doctor, uh, pediatrician's visits. I mean, I, I went in this morning and I can feel the stress in, in the family office where, you know, nurses are doing flu shots and people are walking in with all kinds of stuff. Um, can, you know, what, what are you going to do for you and your family between now and in January that other people could learn from and replicate? Because frankly, you're leading by example when our president and others aren't. No, Paul, absolutely. This is what we know about going to the doctors or to the dentist's office, that these places where stringent mitigation protocols are placed, what, is that, what does mitigation mean? Whenever you hear the term mitigation, it means distancing, masking, sanitizing. That's what we talk about when, we, when sometimes public health officials use the word mitigation. When those, those procedures and policies are in place and usually really well implemented in healthcare settings. So I would definitely not defer needed care and needed screenings for anybody because we're worried actually about deferred care. People are not going getting their cancer screening. They're not going to the dentist for their for their annual screening. And it's causing a whole ton of other issues because of the pandemic. No, I think it's actually quite safe to go because if you're following what the guidelines are saying and what are posted on these clinics, you should be just fine. So I would, and I, I personally have done, I just took my three-year-old to see his pediatrician in person to get a flu shot, and I'm glad I did it. And I think you're at no increased risk as long as you're not doing all the things that you should be doing. So, that, so that's number one. On holiday travel, I'm of two minds on this. And this is where I think this is important for us just as a level with the American people. Yeah. I went home to, to see my folks, my, my, my mom's in her mid-70s over Labor Day weekend. And I knew it was my probably last chance to do it before things got bad. I'm glad I did it. And I knew that if I was going to do it, I was on a level with folks that I did it. This is how I did it. I wore an N95 at a recycle from an ICU shift on the front end, on the back end. 72 hours before I got on my flight, I basically quarantined in place with my wife and my son. I didn't go out and do anything that I didn't need to do. And then I tested myself with a rapid test that I had privilege access to because I, I'm a doc. I've been in my various roles. I've been I've been betting these technologies. I'm being very honest. I have access to things that most people do not have access to. N95 and a rapid test right before I got on the flight. It was negative. I went on a flight. It was Delta. They were they were you know appropriately keeping the middle seat open. And then on the back end, when I got home, I was only home for a, a week. I masked for 72 hours in front of my folks. And then I tested myself. And so if you, and I posted on this on Twitter and it got some traction. I said, if you can do that, go home. Right. But if you cannot do that, that's the bar. Because the last thing you want to do, Paul, is you don't, the last thing you want to do is go visit your folks and expose them to COVID-19. Yeah. And then regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But there's a chance it could. And I so think, that's- I think, yeah, you're, you're leveling with people in a way that they need to hear 
you know, I, I've tried to explain to my family and I'm no medical expert, but look, every time you go outside the wire, you're at risk. Every time yep. you leave the house, sometimes you're wearing your body armor. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're walking through a firefight. Sometimes it's a safe and open field like Cracker Barrel, you know, with no mask on sitting at the counter is, is a whole lot different than riding on, you know, on Delta with an N95 after you've been tested. So I think it's about sure. getting that, that ground truth reality. But I want to ask you, Dr. Gupta, the question we ask all of our guests, and you're great at channeling positive, righteous anger into positive impact. That's the theme of this show. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. But I want to ask you, you're, you feel things. And I think that's part of why people respect you, because you have the clinical perspective, but also an emotional, visceral connection with what's happening. So, Dr. Gupta, what makes you angry? You know what makes me angry, Paul, is, and, and, I, and I've thought a lot about this through the military lens, but it's an indiv the individuals that are currently making decisions, whether previously, let's say, in response to 9-11, it was an elected official who's never worn the uniform, deploying someone else's son or daughter. Mm. Here, it's the same paradigm. It's somebody who doesn't know a darn thing about healthcare or never cared for a patient, much less a COVID patient making life and death decisions when it comes to our public health system and how to allocate resources. That's what makes me angry, that we have such an epidemic of adverse selection in our politics, that we have fundamentally, we, we, we have the wrong leaders, not just for this moment, but for all moments of crisis. But that's what makes me angry, that we have to sit here and have these ridiculous conversations on with a seeming basic common sense within, because the people that have power have hung on to power because our politics is all messed up. Mm. You know, we're, I, don't, I don't think we're a true representative democracy, unfortunately. Because of that, we're having these ridiculous conversations. Versus mm. if we had the right people in, in power, if it was a merit-based system, we would be having a much different conversation. But we're having to have the conversations. I'm having to go on TV. Others have been having to go on TV saying the most basic things. It actually makes me feel ill sometimes. That I am, am I literally saying the same thing? over and over again. Why am I saying this? Is this a good use of, uh, of time? The only reason why is because we have the wrong people largely. I'm not saying everybody, but many wrong people in the halls of power. And there are a lot of reasons yeah. for that. That makes me angry. I appreciate that. I mean, we, we have a command climate that is in direct conflict with science and experience, right? Like we, the president, the commander in chief, you know, uh, knows, you know, as much about frontline healthcare work as he does about Vietnam. I mean, it's, it's, it's a similar Situate, we got a secretary of education who's never been a teacher. I mean, there's a lack of ground truth perspective, but you touched on a couple of the, the military themes. I want to ask you specifically, it's something we've covered on this show, I think is the most underreported part of the pandemic is how many veterans have died. You know, we don't know how many have died, but it could be as many as one quarter or 20% or of all of these old folks that are dying could be World War II veterans. The VA, in my view, has not done a good job of testing. They've only tested just over 800,000 people since the pandemic began. I think New York State does that in a week. So in my view, there's been a flat-footed response by the VA and the DOD, but it's also endangered our national security, right? Our enemies celebrate when you have to take a destroyer offline or the 82nd Airborne have to take a unit and hold them. People can't rotate home for the holidays. You have a really unique perspective on this. As a, as a nationally recognized doc, but also as an Air Force reservist who's still drilling, can you break down how has COVID hit our military and how have they responded? 
You bet, Paul. I mean, from the lenses that I have, which is the Air Force side, the more the, uh, the medical corps, and then from the conversations I've had, for example, with the Marine Corps, uh, there, there's two issues at play. There's force protection. How do we keep our, our forces safe? And there's a lot of uh, uh, complicated questions to be answered. And then what do we do with our vets? And how do we make sure that they're cared for when they're historically under cared for? Because the big issue, and then you reference this, and then the numbers you cite, actually, again, I mentioned this to you earlier, I, I, I haven't been tracking uh, that story because it hasn't gotten a lot of press. And, uh, and I feel bad that I, you know, as, as somebody that's a service member, have, was not aware that our testing for our veterans has been lagging to that degree. It doesn't surprise me because we know veterans in general are a neglected cohort of individuals. They have a, a terrible access to primary health care. I mean, we, we saw the saga of just a few years ago in the crisis at the VA. So uh, this speaks to a broader theme that if you don't have durable access to timely health care, of course, you're going to be bearing the brunt of a bad outcome from a once in a century pandemic. So it does not, uh, veterans in general are a vulnerable group. We know that, just like people of color. And it does not surprise me that they are now feeling the brunt of this. So that's, that's number one. Number two, on force protection, you know, one, of the, one of the challenges here, and, and Paul, you know this, is there is a, pr- a checklist that's endless, that's nauseating in some ways before one were to get deployed. And a lot of that is focused on, you know, are you green in the system from a medical checkpoint, a checklist standpoint? One of the complicating factors here, my, half my unit's going to deploy over to LUD at the beginning of the year. They have to do two weeks of mandatory quarantining before, uh, here in the U.S., out in Jersey, before they go off uh, 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 to LUD. And two weeks, one, like that's two weeks in the continental United States when they could be with their family. But now, you know, unfortunately, now they have to be uh, at McGuire. So that's number one. Two weeks is a lot, but two weeks is also quite the the burden on our forces because we have a limited number of active duty and reservist force that can be deployed. Number one, and then you're basically saying everybody needs a blanket two week quarantine, even if they're asymptomatic, before you before you know you send them on, you test them, and then you send them on their way. So we're trying to think of creative solutions. Um, there's a, I was just part of a conversation you know, with the Corps, uh, the Marine Corps, about how can we actually reduce that quarantining time to keep cadets healthy, to keep our deployed forces safe and healthy, but also to increase movement, mobility, um, and to get people in and out uh, of their, uh, of their ro- uh, deployment uh, rotation quickly so that there's less stress. Those are really challenging questions, but we're working on them as we speak. But I will say, I think the military, at least on the force protection side, is asking the right questions, and they're trying to build a surveillance infrastructure in place that keeps everybody healthy and minimizes these logistical complications. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that, because I mean, this week we found out that the number two at the Space Force is, is tested positive for COVID. At one point, the entire uh, Joint Chiefs were, were in isolation we're quarantining uh, because of exposure. So there's a real impact on, you know, the, the, the movement of our people. We can't move and do the things we wanted to do. And, you know, as you spin up National Guard troops in response to potential election unrest, the pandemic, yeah. I don't think they have standardized testing across all the National Guard either. I mean, when we deployed to Iraq, yeah. I had guys who hadn't seen a dentist in a year. Some of these guys and gals are going to get deployed by the National Guard and they haven't been tested either. So there's a long tail of that that I think is is deeply concerning to me, and I think our enemies are, are going to relish. Um, Doc, you're, right. 
you're, you're a positive guy. Despite all this, you bring great energy. You inspire people. You're one of those rare people that, that you can watch on television and leave feeling better than worse, right? You feel like this was worth my time. Um, you continue to be, I think, a real voice of reason for this country. So let me ask you, you know, Dr. Gupta, what makes you happy? Gosh, uh, that's, uh, thank you for letting me brood on that a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I think more than anything, what makes me so what makes me really happy actually being in Seattle. This might not be what the answer you expected, but uh, my my son has really gotten into aviation. I'm an Air Force guy, uh, so we've been spending uh, much of. The, I don't know if you've ever been out to Seattle, but the uh, Museum of Flight out uh, that Boeing and others have been have built. A lot of it's outdoors, actually. Uh, is is our, our happy spot during the pandemic. So mm. it's uh, we and my wife kind of tolerates it, but she's a little less interested in that space. But we've been doing World War One, World War Two aviation uh, sort of history tours, uh, going and boarding Lyndon B. Johnson's Air Force One. Uh, they have it kind of in this outdoor uh, 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 tarmac area. It's been, that's what makes me happy, time with family, but doing things that I know my son and the next generation um, are kind of have their eye out on. In his case, it's aviation and astronomy. So it's just been, that's an example of what makes me happy is actually just time with family and being the dad and learning to be, I guess, the best dad I can be. I think I appreciate that, especially I got two little guys and, and their interest in aviation and NASA and all things space and aviation is, is, uh, is, is really, really incredible. Uh, and Seattle's got some of the best museums. Uh, the, my favorite museum, and maybe in the country, was the Experience Music Project, the Music Museum, and then the Sci-Fi Museum is downstairs, which was yep. really just cool, right? Some of the coolest, yeah. most interactive museums. Let, let me ask you a, a, another question, Doc. People are, are, are watching you. They're inspired by you. You're a voice of reason. You're doing many things. Would you ever run for office yourself? I think you're the kind of person we want in government right now, and we need competence and no shit from from leaders. Would you ever run for office yourself? You know, I um, I guess I, I, I'm not going to do what I think most people, uh, what I've seen current politicians do, which is say one thing, but actually um, uh, they, they internally mean something else. Yes, absolutely. Um, why not? Uh, and, and I think if I'm calling them out, I should be willing to do it myself. And so I think folks like yourself, Paul, people who've served, uh, nurses, other frontline health staff, these are the types of people we should want in elected office. And so if, if I've, I've long thought, I'm from Ohio, my wife and I met in Toledo, um, I've long thought about going back home. Uh, I was Rich Cordray's health policy advisor when he ran for governor in 18. Um, I sat when he didn't win. I thought he would have been an excellent leader for my home state. It's where my folks, my in-laws still live. I think we, we have a crisis of democracy. And in part, because we don't actually have people who are public servants before they pretend to be public servants in the halls of power. The only, well, what, uh, and so, yes, of course, I, I, I absolutely have thought about it. I think there's, I, I have, there's the dark underbelly of exposure, which I've been exposed to now um, in my role as a uh, as a national commentator for COVID nineteen. I've seen the dark underbelly, yeah, and I've made it. Uh, so yes, absolutely, why not? I love it. Can you run for for mayor of New York City, please? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> there are a lot of positions in government where we need someone who who can address what I think is going to be the fight of our time right now, which is the pandemic. I mean, I think this is the call of our generation. We're going to need yep. leaders. 
in the same way we needed leaders who served in Iraq and Afghanistan to come back and help shape, you know, our, our combat operations. We need frontline first responders. It's first responders. Uh, day was this week. We need those people with experience on the front lines of this pandemic, future pandemic. So, you know, I'm happy to start the, the draft in Gupta campaign <laughs> going, going forward. Um, you know, I want to know. No, yeah, yeah. You may, we were, I got to let you go and get back to a million things. I got to, you mentioned your son. Halloween is this week. Uh, do you have a Halloween costume? What's Dr. Vin Gupta dressing up as for Halloween? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I An exhausted doctor? Other than yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I don't have one yet, but we are dressing up our 20-pound uh, cocker poodle mix and, and our 3-year-old son, Aiden, um, in tacos. So uh, they're going to be in taco shells. So I guess maybe I'll get one for myself. But That's no, I, uh, outstanding. I, I, I hope you wear it on Morning Joe. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. I, you know, I, I really wanted to have a conversation with somebody this week that could help us understand bigger than the election, right? Like everybody's talking about the election. We've tried to be about what's next. And I think that you have really helped us do that. You continue to do that for our country. I am exceptionally grateful. Normally we would do this in person. We can't do that. So I need to present you with some gifts, if that's all right. Um, <laughs> you're a very well-dressed man and a man of style. So I'm going to send you some Angry Americans gear. Awesome. Made by the veterans of Oscar Mike. You can rock that. If you don't have a Halloween costume, you can be an angry American. Um, <laughs> I'm going to send you, uh, I know you like wine, until we get a wine sponsor. Uh, there we Uncle go. Nearest, 1884, uh, the best American whiskey out there. So I hope Love you can that. enjoy that at some point if you ever get a break. And then <laughs> Thank the, you. The last gift that's also a question, kind of a Rorschach <laughs> test of this show, is uh, we have three colors of peeps. Yellow, pink, and blue. Dr. Vin Gupta, which color would you choose and why? Uh, uh, blue, because it reminds me of blue sky, and we don't have nearly enough of that right now in Seattle. I love it. I love it. The Air Force guy <laughs> says the blue sky. We need blue skies, and we got to have hope for the future. Dr. Vin Gupta, you, you give us that every day. Thank you for your leadership. Leadership's about sacrifice, and I know, you know, I can't even imagine how many times you've had to step away from your family you know, leave your three-year-old and go out and try to inform the American people. You're a hero, man. And you're saving lives. And on behalf of the entire country of all backgrounds, I just, I want to thank you for your leadership and sacrifice and tell you, you know, our reward is we're going to ask you to do a whole lot more of it in the months ahead. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me and for the invitation. What an honor. Thank Such you. a great chance to meet you. Thank you, sir. Keep after it. We're rooting for you. And, and wherever you are, stay frosty. <laughs> thank you, sir. As the storms continue to rage all around us, there are a couple folks that are helping us get through it and helping make this show happen. Most of all, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Vin Gupta. He's an extraordinary leader. Check him out online. Watch for him on TV. And if your kids need a costume or you need a costume for Halloween and you want to be a hero, leave Iron Man and Superman on the shelf and go as Dr. Vin Gupta. He's a true American hero, and I'm so grateful he joined us. 
Also got to thank the Righteous Media team who continues to make this machine happen. Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, and brilliant Bill Schultz. All of them fantastic. Always bringing nothing but treats and never tricks. Thank you to all of you. Thanks to our friends at Uncle Nearest. Maybe you'll be lucky and get a bottle of Uncle Nearest in your Halloween bag this year. Uncle Nearest premium whiskey inspired by the best whiskey maker the world never knew. The first known African-American master distiller, Nathan Nearest Green. It's been winning awards all over the place, so check them out at UncleNearest.com. Fantastic whiskey and fantastic people. The award-winning whiskey, Cigar and Spirits magazine, named Uncle Nearest one of the top five whiskeys in the world. So if you don't want to go as Dr. Vin Gupta this Halloween, maybe you can go as another hero, Uncle Nearest. Go to UncleNearest.com for more. Check them out and spread the word. Of course, want to thank our vigilant Patreon members. Uh, if you're a Patreon member, you got a sneak preview of this episode. I told you what was coming up. You saw me in a Halloween costume, and you will continue to get behind-the-scenes views at whatever's going on around this show and inside Righteous Media. So thanks to all of our vigilant Patreon members. If you're not a member, check us out. You can support this work and be a part of the community and see behind the scenes on everything that we're doing and everything we got coming up. Also want to thank everyone who continues to play Guest the Guest on our social media. Every week we give you a chance to guess the Guest and win a prize. This week, our friend Brian Cross from Berkeley, Illinois, was the one person who correctly guessed Dr. Vin Gupta. He guessed it on my Facebook page, so congrats to Brian Ross. Guesses this week ranged from Captain Mark Kelly to Tammy Duckworth to Dave Batista to Dr. Fauci to Chuck Norris. The guesses just keep getting better. We get more and more every week. So thank you to all of you for playing. Tune in again on our social media every Wednesday to get a chance to guess the guest and win. I always want to hear from you there or anywhere else, so tweet, post on our social, you can call, and you know what'll happen. I'll make you famous. Yes, we'll make you famous, just like Brian Cross. I want to thank him again, thank all of you, and especially as things get colder in the Northeast and get colder in America, I want to thank my family, my amazing wife, and my two boys. Before I got down to recording tonight, we got the email. The email we've been preparing for. The email from the school that said headline COVID-19 update. We got an email from the superintendent of our school system sharing that a kid in my son's elementary school tested positive for COVID. It's the first one in our school. They've been open for about 30 days. It's the first one. And we were prepared for it, but it still sucks. And it's still scary. On the night before, the last day before Halloween, the day that the kids are supposed to be dressing up in Halloween costumes, they find out something really scary, that one of their classmates tested positive for COVID. And it's some legitimately scary shit. I opened the email, and this is some of what it said. Even though all our students and staff members wear masks and practice social distancing, it's possible that your child and others who are in the classroom may have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus. If we don't receive clearance to resume in-person instruction, the class will remain remote to ensure that no other individuals develop symptoms. During the period of our students' absence, their classroom will undergo a deep cleaning and disinfecting process. There's a lot more, and the school's handling it well. But my heart goes out to that kid and to his or her family and to everyone out there dealing with this shit right now, especially the kids. It just sucks. But we're all in it together, 
and we got to stick together. That's how we're going to get through it. So my thanks to all of you that continue to reach out. My thanks especially to all the courageous kids, to my kids, to the teachers, to the school workers, to the doctors, to the nurses, and to everyone who continues to push forward. And thanks to everyone who continues to push this show forward, to retweet, subscribe, and support this show. Keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And go to angryamericans.us. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can check out our YouTube page. And we've got merch. There's lots and lots of merch. If you didn't have a t-shirt in time for Halloween, you can get it in time for Thanksgiving. You can get it in time for the holidays. Go to angryamericans.us now. Check it out. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. And all fall and into the winter, we will adapt, improvise, and overcome. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. We're going to keep this movement growing week by week. And because you're not scared enough, I want to share with you something I've been working on for the last couple of months and something that I tipped you off on when we had Malcolm Nance on the show. Coming up on election night and over the course of the next six weeks on Vice TV, I'm one of the consultants on a new series called While the Rest of Us Die. Secrets of America's Shadow Government. It's on Vice TV, and it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. How the U.S. government screws over the little guy. It's a six-part series about how the elite are saved and the normal people die when the shit hits the fan. It's about spending billions of dollars to shield Washington's elites during a nuclear war, but almost nothing to protect normal people from a deadly pandemic. It's really cool. It's really important. It's really informative. Other folks in the series are Richard Clark, Jay Johnson, Doug Rushkoff, Eric Schlosser, and our friend Malcolm Nance. It's an impressive lineup, and it's going to be narrated by another Angry Americans friend, Jeffrey Wright. The incredible Jeffrey Wright, who's joined us on this show in the past. You know him from Westworld, from James Bond, from Batman, from so many other things. But Jeffrey Wright, Malcolm Nance, me, on Vice, starting on Election Day and going for six weeks. Look for While the Rest of Us Die, Secrets of America's Shadow Government for Vice TV, produced by Ephraim Films, my friend Sean Ephraim, Anthony LePay, in association with me and Righteous Media. It's a big project. We're really proud of it. Check it out. And it will scare the shit out of you, but it'll also keep you informed. And as you watch that and you watch the rest of the news unfold, there's plenty of reason to be angry. There's always a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it, a way to make an impact. But now more than ever, you can turn that anger into positive impact. Now more than ever, you can be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. And I talk about it every show. I want to help you convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. My kids are dealing with a lot. We're all dealing with a lot. But we got to stay positive. That means celebrating Halloween, no matter what. And our kids are dressing up, you guessed it, as dinosaurs. So are me and my wife. And if it turns out we can't go trick-or-treating, we're going to set up the garage and the house and let them go door-to-door here. We're also supposed to get five inches of snow, but we're going to still find a way to have fun. And you need to, too. If you're young, 
or you're old, if you're in a big family, or if you're alone. Celebrate Halloween and celebrate Election Day. If you can't think of a costume, you can always go as an angry American. And be sure to go to the polls. Go to the polls as an angry American. Go no matter what. I know it might be hard. I know you might have to stand in the rain. Bring three friends and vote and get other people to vote. The best way to turn our righteous anger into positive impact in the next few weeks is to vote. It's okay to be angry, especially now, but know you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the other side next week. Stay frosty. And stay vigilant, America. What's the chorus? Tyrannosaurus. Wow, his teeth are really big.